Pastor Xavier Reese and the sufficiency of God reserved for those who abide in Him. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul tells the Romans in Romans 8, Who shall separate from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No! In other words, God is sufficient. I abide and trust Him, and He is sufficient for that day. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. This simple truth from 1 Peter 4 provides purpose in our persecutions. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. And as our study series of the Old Testament book of Jeremiah continues today with a message titled, Clay in the Hands of the Potter, Pastor Xavier describes the faithful obedience to God the Potter by the vessel Jeremiah in the face of mounting threats. Let's listen. Jeremiah chapter 18, we're going to look at verse 1 through 23, the entire chapter. The prophet Jeremiah is sent now to the house of the potter, and it is played out in a threefold movement in these 23 verses that are progressive and they come to a concluding message. You have the parable of the potter and the clay in verse 1 through 12. The prophet went down in obedience and observed the potter making something on the wheel. And the reference to the wheel, as you know, is this potter's wheel. He being the potter could feel the lumps, the bubbles, everything in there, the imperfections. You looking upon it from far, you don't see it. He's the potter. He feels. He knows. He has in his mind what that vessel is going to look like. Not the observer. Notice in verse 4, the vessel was marred. So the potter made it into another vessel as it seemed good to him. The sovereignty of God. His authority is the principle here. God does what He wills, when He wills, as He wills, where He wills, to whom He will, whenever He wills. And yet what He wills is never injustice. The prophet is told by Yahweh that the house of Israel is like the clay in the hands of the potter. He is sovereign in control of the nation. Verse 5 and 6. You remember when we were studying Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 8. Isaiah said, But now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay, and You are our potter, and all we are is the work of your hand. Notice verse 7 and 8. Yahweh tells Jeremiah that if a nation or a kingdom was condemned to destruction, but repented, God would spare it. Yahweh also told Jeremiah that if a nation and kingdom is to be blessed of God, and they do evil and disobey His voice, then God would withdraw the good intended to be imparted. Verse 11, Yahweh makes the application to the nation of Judah and commands Jeremiah to address the nation. So the primary application, the context is to the nation of Israel. Okay, Judah. The prophet Jeremiah was to speak to Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, very specific. The message of Jeremiah was twofold. Notice, to pronounce the coming disaster, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. That's the first part. But second... Call them to repentance. That is always the twofold message. God does not elect any person to hell. 
nor does he choose to make a person's life miserable. Otherwise, he would be unjust. The parable of the potter and the clay spoke of the nation. So what does it say about our nation today? What great privilege we've had. What awesome responsibility. Notice secondly in verses 13 through 17, the personal indictment and verdict of the people as unnatural claim. In verse 13 and 14, the unnatural behavior of Judah is described. The prophet was to ask the Gentiles if they had heard of such thing. The virgin of Israel had done a very horrible thing. Unnatural. The nation had become unfaithful and treacherous as a virgin to her husband, in this case, Yahweh. The deed of the nation was horrible, unnatural. She had gone from purity and innocence to perverted treachery. Notice in verse 14, the prophet is asked two more questions, revealing the nation's unnaturalness in conduct. Will a man leave the snow waters of Lebanon, which come from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? The people had left Yahweh, who was always dependable, to be the protection, the provider. Why would you do that? Knowing that water will come out of your faucet in the kitchen every day, why, why would you go up to the mountains and go hike up five miles to get a bucket of water? The picture is in the cold flowing snow water of Lebanon represents Yahweh. Dependable. The strange waters, the pagan gods who are undependable. Notice that the three rhetorical questions demand a threefold answer. No. Her conduct was unnatural. Notice in verse 15 and 16, secondly, the sins of the people are declared. Judah, as a result of, of her unnatural behavior, forgot God. The people of God had forgotten him. It was a choice. It was a step walking away from him. The people of God had burned incense to worthless idols. Before you get joined to someone else, you have to leave someone else. When a husband or a wife say, listen, I'm out of here. I have somebody else. This has been going on for a long time. No one gets out of bed one morning and says, you know what, I think I'll leave my wife today. It's a very progressive thing. And then comes a day when you make that decision. And from that decision on, you have abandoned, you have forsaken the one you were committed to. It's a choice. Judah had brought about her own fall, he says in 15. They had caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths. God had put them on the paths. He had directed, guided them. They had caused themselves to stumble. You know, some always say, well, you know, don't do that, brother. You stumble me. But the truth of the matter is that they were stumbling themselves. They were going out of their way to do things contrary to who they were. They then walked in the pathways and not on the highway. The pathways of the pagans, of their own evil hearts, leaving the highway of God. And you remember Isaiah said the highway of God is called holiness. By not continuing the path of Yahweh, she began to walk in the pagan path. So she was no longer on the highway of Yahweh. Listen, to be blessed. Notice in verse 16, Judah in fact was responsible for bringing judgment on herself. By making their land desolate in a perpetual Hissing. By everyone who passed by, it would be an astonishment to them and they would shake their head. 
Just like you see a man who leaves his wife or a wife who leaves her children. And, and you look and you go, man, they've been married for 25 years. God had a great job. She's a great wife. Why would he do that? Her kids are all, and you go, I don't understand. That's the thing. You know, it's just stupid. With a capital S. Notice thirdly in verse 17. The severe consequence to the people are pronounced. She would in fact be scattered as the east wind before the enemy. The Sirocco wind, very hot, very destructive, wipe out all vegetation. Yahweh would have nothing to do with her, symbolized by the showing them of his back instead of his face in the day of their calamity. But this is a play on words. He would give them their back. That's a lack of respect. You're talking to somebody, somebody gives your back. That's disrespectful. You're ignoring them. But this is a play on word from what they would do. The reference to Yahweh's back is a play on words. When you get to chapter 19, verse 15, they would stiff their neck to not hear the voice of God. And there's the play on words. You stiffen your neck to not hear me, I'll give you my back. You think you impress me by giving me up? Hey, let me really impress your life. I'm going to give you up. Man. The city of Nineveh is a classic example of God's graciousness and mercy. They got saved on a maybe. Total pagans. Most commentators declare that Nineveh is the greatest revival ever recorded. Let me correct it. They're wrong. Revival is always to the church who has become lethargic and lukewarm. And God revives her and she catches the vision again and begins to proclaim the gospel. That's not what happened in Nineveh. Nineveh, they were all pagans. It is the greatest miracle that's ever recorded in the Bible. The greatest miracle is not raising the dead. The greatest miracle is not bringing down fire from heaven. The greatest miracle is... You can be saved. That you are saved. Let alone an entire city, Nineveh. Greatest miracle. That's the type of God we serve. He's not willing that any should perish. God has made man in his image and his likeness. But through the fall, the image and likeness has been marred, but not totally destroyed. Because 8.20 says, God has put that void there, that emptiness, subjected in hope, it can only be filled by Jesus Christ. You can try sex, drugs, whatever. It'll satisfy for a little while, but you're going to come up empty every time. It's only when you allow your heart to be open for God to fill that void in your life that then life becomes valuable and meaningful. And you're able to assess it for what it really is. Now, don't get me wrong. As a Christian, you can still be stupid. <laughs> as a Christian, you can still do dumb things. And we sow and we reap. But when you come to Christ, you know what life's about. You have no excuse. There is no pointing fingers accepted any longer. You are responsible, and so am I. Notice thirdly, verse 18 through 23. The persecution of Jeremiah by the people for his message of the potter and the clay. People don't like to hear the truth of the Word of God. I don't mean to offend you, but if the Word of God offends you, then you have to pick it up with God. Notice first verse 18. The plot against Jeremiah is planned. Then they said, come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah. See, they did not believe the message of Jeremiah. 
that the law would perish from the priests, the counsel of their wives, or the word of the false prophet. And verse 18 would fail. No, we've got these three, these three group of individuals, priests, wives, and prophet. We've got them all. We've got our devices. We've got all our things set up. These are not going to fall through. These are not going to fail us. I've got all my T's crossed, and I've got all my I's dotted, and I've got all these things. I'm in control, really. The very breath you breathe is in the hand of God. You better thank God you don't have to think to breathe when you go to, or you wouldn't go to sleep at night. They plan to attack Jeremiah with their tongue. Notice that, verse 18, and not give heed to his words. With their tongues, they would attack his character to discredit him as a prophet of Yahweh. They were the leaders. So what they say and what they do influences people. What an awesome responsibility for you as a leader or myself, whoever you are. You say, well, I'm not a well, You know how you know you're a leader? Real simple. Listen, turn around and see if somebody's following you. If people follow you, you're a leader. Now, either you're a good leader or a bad leader. But God will hold you responsible for your leadership. Whether it's according to God's word or according to the world or your philosophy. Remember, God had told Jeremiah earlier in chapter 11, verse 21 to 23. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, let us, lest you die by our hand. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons and their daughters shall die by the famine, and there shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anathoth, even in the year of their punishment. So this is nothing new for Jeremiah. Forty years, on and on and on and on. Now, you and I never, never experienced persecution. I've never experienced persecution for the gospel as American. All we can do is read about it. But this morning, Christians are being killed in China, Croatia, the Philippines probably. We know nothing about this. All we can do is read and imagine. Notice secondly here, the prayer of Jeremiah is proclaimed in response, verse 19 through 23. Jeremiah pleaded with Yahweh to listen to him and the words of those who contended with him. Because he knows all things. And Jeremiah, by rhetorical question, pleads with Yahweh about the injustice of the people repaying him evil for good as they plot against him. Is good supposed to be repaid with evil? No. They were doing this to him. So the rhetorical question again has an obvious answer. No. Notice Jeremiah reminds Yahweh also of his own commitment to do the people good, to turn them from his wrath. God, you know my heart. You know my love for the people. And this is why Jeremiah, we see his confessions and we see his heart torn up because he loves the people. God says, Jeremiah from the beginning, chapter 1, I'm going to send you. I've made you an iron pillar or a brazen wall. Don't be confounded before their faces lest I dismay you. They're not going to hear you. I'm going to send you. They're not going to hear you. But Jeremiah had hope. He really didn't believe God. Like you and I don't believe God. Sometimes. And then after a week, a month, or years, or a decade, we say, all right, Lord, I get the message. Jeremiah finally realizes, you were telling the truth, God. These guys are serious. They're not going to hear me. So the intercession of Jeremiah against the people is given to us. Verse 21, 23. Now some commentators have a difficult time with Jeremiah's prayer. They think that it's out of character here. I don't think so. I think it's in line with the character of God. God says he was going to destroy them. The prophet finally said, okay, I agree with you, God. He's already told them over and over again, don't pray for them, right? Jeremiah prays Yahweh to do six things. Verse 21, that their children be delivered up to the famine, that their blood be poured out by the sword, that their wives become widows, that the people be bereaved of their children, 
that their men be put to death, that their young men be slain by the sword in battle. He lined himself up with God. Now this is the Old Testament. We don't pray like this, and we'll show you that as we move along, okay? But I like Paul. Paul's a good rabbi. He's, you know, he always find a way out. Paul says, reward them according to their deed. Ooh, loophole. Verse 22, Jeremiah prays that they experience the fear of being hunted. Why? Because they're hunting him constantly. That a cry be heard from their houses when Yahweh brought truth suddenly upon them. You sow, you reap. The reason being that they had dug a pit to take him and hidden snares in his feet. They had set up all kinds of traps to accuse him in order to kill him. Pretty heavy. Verse 23, Jeremiah prays for their complete destruction. His basis for his petition is on God's omniscience. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. You know their real intent. You know where they're at. He boldly asks that they die in their sin. Listen to this. This is a heavy petition. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. That is a horrible, horrible petition. But it's aligned with God's will for the time. That truly is the sign of no hope. He pleads they be overthrown and that Yahweh deal with them in his anger. But let them be overthrown before you. Deal thus with them in the time of your anger. The martyrs of the church are many. And the first martyr of the church was no different than all who have followed him. They have died preaching to those who were headed to hell, trying to turn them. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, and as he was being persecuted for his message of the gospel, in Acts seven fifty nine and 60, it says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Jesus did it from the cross. He said, yeah, but he's God. I can't do that. Stephen did it. We have no excuse. There is no immunity from persecution if you're a Christian. In fact, it is guaranteed. Jesus said in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5.12 So you're in good company. Don't think that you are so super spiritual that you're doing God a favor by suffering. Or that you're going through something no one else has gone before. We have to have perspective. In fact, Paul, on his first missionary journey, after he had evangelized a whole region there, it says in Acts 14.22, he went about strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You must continue. Many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. How would you like that as a promise? It's yours. Just as much as your sins be forgiven. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now make sure you're being persecuted for God's sake, not for your stupidity. Or because you force yourself on people. Or because you're obnoxious. 
Make sure it's because you're a Christian. But the beauty of it all is that Paul tells the Romans in Romans 8, 35, Who shall separate from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No! In other words, God is sufficient. I abide and trust Him, and He is sufficient for that day. The responsibility of the believer is in view of persecution. What is it? To pray for the persecutors. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5.44, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's our responsibility. And for that reason, Paul tells Timothy in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And they're supposed to have an opportunity. We're to pray. We're to preach. And so the persecution of Jeremiah by the people for his message of the potter and the clay confirmed their permanent marred condition. The prophet Jeremiah being sent to the house of the potter is very wisely laid out for us that we might learn from it. The parable of the potter and the clay spoke of the nation of Judah. It speaks of every nation today. The principle is still the same. The indictment and verdict of the people as a natural clay was their own fault. It speaks of every individual in the church today. Don't try to make God one with your sin or blame Him or others. The persecution of Jeremiah by the people for his message of the potter and the clay confirmed their permanent mark conditions. It speaks to every person who keeps ignoring the warnings or somehow deluding, deceiving themselves, thinking they're okay with God when they're not living according to God's Word. What a warning. These are not just stories. They're very applicable for today. Are you clay in the hands of the potter? Or are you cement already set up? The choice is yours. Pastor Xavier Reese making a compelling case for choosing repentance over rebellion on today's Simple Truths. But we're not quite done for today, as Pastor Xavier is standing by for some closing comments to end our broadcast. But first, let me quickly mention that copies of today's Simple Truths study titled Clay in the Hands of the Potter are available on CD for only $4, which will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. And that title to ask for once again is Clay in the Hands of the Potter. Or you could just mention today's date as well. Now you can make your request by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. 
and Pastor Xavier, we've reserved these remaining moments for you, and you're holding a perfect example in your hands of a note from a listener who was gracious enough to share how she was ministered to. Yeah, we received an email from Liz Ambrose, and she's from Virginia Beach, Virginia. And she wrote to us letting us know how uh, she's a new believer and how she's hungry for the Word and how she listens to the program. And she thanks us for the uh, messages and all. And we just pray that God will continue to cause her to grow, not only through this program, but others that she listens. But once again, those of you who are Christians and you have the blessing and the privilege of listening to programs that God has provided through the various ministries, write them, drop them an email so they know whether God is blessing or not. Otherwise, they have no idea. So we want to thank uh, uh, not only Liz, but many of you who have written in to us. So God bless you. And what a blessing it is for us to receive that kind of confirmation as we did in this email from Liz. So if you'd like to jot down your comments for Pastor Xavier and our Simple Truths broadcast, email to simpletruths at ccpas.com. That's simpletruths at ccpas.com. Or the street address one more time is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com